Pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we're thankful for the beautiful sunshine and each one that is here. Lord, most of all, we want to be thankful for your word and what is in it. We ask that you would help us this morning as we sing these songs, that we would realize that they are songs, offerings of praise and thankfulness and worship to thee. Lord, I pray that during the preaching that I would be able to bring forth your word in a way that would turn our hearts toward you and your word. And Lord, during the time of invitation, that none of us would withhold from what, from you what is rightfully yours, that we would surrender that which needs to be surrendered and discard that which needs to be discarded. Embrace that which should be embraced, that we may leave this place better able to serve you in the world in which we live. Lord, there are many burdens and many problems in this world, and we ask that we would lay aside the cares of this life, that we may be instructed in how to serve you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please re- Tell you what, there is no substitute for just being still. Amen. We just have too much. Uh, the actual word is hullabaloo. That is just needless noise and motion. And uh, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 23. And we're going to be looking at a few verses there. We're going to be going several different passages this morning. And. Uh, The message this morning is looking for. How many of you have been looking for something? How many are you looking for that hour of sleep you lost last night? Uh, That was rather cruel. Uh, And, uh, of course, they always do it on Saturday night. Because nobody does anything on Sunday, right? Uh, I think they ought to do it on Sunday night into Monday morning. And... uh, uh, I'd rather be late for work than late for church, but with me, it's all the same thing. So you've got to be on time, amen? But uh, the simple truth is, everybody's looking for something. And we live in a world where people are always saying one thing while they're looking for something else now, aren't they? And last Sunday was the book of Esther, how we went through. And, you know, you can have everything all put together any way you want, but it is God that does the work. So let's get busy doing the things that God has put for us to do and let him take care of the things that only he can take care of. Amen? And here in Acts chapter 23, we're going to be looking at four different passages where that phrase looking for is found in our Bible. And the first thing, it's interesting, the first thing people are looking for is a promise so that they can do wrong. The world always is trying to get you to agree to something so that they can do something wrong. And we'd just be reminded of last week's message. You let God take care of things. Let's Look here in verse 21. Um, Actually, let's go back a couple of verses. Verse 19. 
Then the chief captain took him, this is Paul's nephew, aside by the hand, and went with him aside privately and asked him, What is thou? What is that thou hast to tell me? And he said, The Jews, now remember, this is the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring down Paul tomorrow into the council as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them, for there lie in wait for him of them more than forty men which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready, looking for a promise from thee. You know, there's a lot of people out there. These were religious people. I want you to understand this. These were the people that showed up, and since they were Jewish people, they showed up at the synagogue every Sabbath. Um, They were people who knew the word of God, and yet they had bound themselves with an oath, meaning they had promised God that they would neither eat nor drink, until they had committed the murder of Paul. Now, it is amazing what people will do for the sake of their religion. Uh, we, we live in a world where religion is scorned and, and looked down upon, and the problem is, The world looks down upon true religion, but even the world is smart enough to understand that most false religion is just absolutely meaningless. And so these people were looking for a promise from Claudius Lysias so that they could destroy the Apostle Paul. You know, there are people that would rather... Be, and let's just put it in, they'd rather be successful on Wall Street than go to heaven. They'd rather own property than meet Jesus. There are people that would rather feel good about their religious practice than to have the truth because it goes against their tradition. Let's be careful. We're not looking for the wrong things. Amen? Remember that these people who were looking for this promise were religious people, and yet they bound themselves by an oath to God to break God's law. If that makes sense to you, then you got problem with your sense. Amen? Uh, it ought not make any sense to you. It ought not be right, and yet... We live in a world where people are repeating this every day. In fact, I could tell you stories of people that walk through my office and, and, and uh, remember one uh, story. Uh, this didn't happen here at our church, but uh, knew the people and, and uh, prayed for years that her husband would get saved. He got saved. She said, Several months after he got saved, he got baptized, he started serving the Lord, started showing up at church. 
I liked him better as a drunk. I said, whoa, wait a minute, where'd this come from? Well, see, she didn't want a husband that served the Lord. She wanted a husband to serve her. See, it doesn't work that way. It's got to be the Lord. Amen. And so these people were looking for a promise, and it's just absolutely amazing how God did all of this thing, how Paul's nephew just happened to be there and to hear this information, and he goes and he tells Paul, and of course, Paul sends him to the chief captain. Now, how many of you know the story well enough to know that the chief captain at this point was severely indebted to Paul as a person? Because as a Roman uh, centurion, as the leader of the garrison there in Jerusalem, when they had gone to riot in the temple and tried to beat Paul, he had taken him into the, into the fortress there, and on the way he let Paul stand and speak to the people. And after Paul got to a certain point where he said, God has sent me to minister to the Gentiles, everybody went crazy. And he took Paul in and bound him and was going to literally beat the truth out of him. That was one of the Roman interrogation methods. Uh, and by the way, they didn't just stop until you told them what you wanted to hear. So the Roman interrogation method was fairly successful for the Romans. And, and Paul said, do you have a right to bound, bind me as a citizen of Rome? Everybody was afraid now. Because they could go to prison. They could be severely punished near death or even, even beyond near death into death itself for having bound a Roman citizen without a trial. It was scary stuff. And so when Paul sends this little boy and he says, Paul told me to talk to you, guess what? The chief captain was going to listen real close because he wasn't going to offend Paul twice. He had already done it once. Do you see how God puts these things together? You couldn't plan that if you wanted. But God did. And now the chief captain says, here's my chance to do right by Paul. And so he gets 200 soldiers and 170 horsemen and all the different uh, army there. And the entire Roman garrison marches Paul up to Caesarea and protects him. You know what? Forty men were not going to harm Paul. Four hundred men were not going to harm Paul. He was protected. Why? Because God protected him. Don't be worried about what the world is looking for. Don't worry about what everybody else is looking for. You know, that's a really good reason not to stay up late and watch all those infomercials. <laughs> because they're always, you want to get rich? You know, I'll, I'll tell you what. Don't be looking for those things. But there's another 
looking for in Hebrews chapter 10, and let's go there. And these people are in just as bad a shape, if not worse, than our first set of people who are looking for things. Now, we've got to read verse 25 because it's real close here. And uh, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Have you ever met somebody that all they were looking for was God's judgment? How many of you remember the big billboards all over New York City? The world is going to end May 20... What was it? May 21st? Wasn't that when the world was going to end? I I don't even remember. I don't pay attention to those things because I know... They're not scriptural because they come under the auspices of this verse right here. There are people out there that are like the old Ziggy cartoons. Anybody remember Ziggy? He's walking along and all of a sudden this big lightning bolt comes down out of heaven and fries him to little crispy critters because he did something wrong. That's the way a lot of people treat God. Can I tell you that that's blasphemy against the God of the Bible? I've dealt with people in my office say, Pastor, don't you understand? Nobody can walk in the narrow way. Nobody lives perfect. And they'll often quote this verse. If you sin willfully after that you've received the truth, there's no more sacrifice for sins. Well, let me tell you something. Most people's understanding of this verse would mean nobody's saved. Therefore, it can't be the proper understanding of the verse. Somebody said, well, how do, how do you sin unwillfully? No, that's not what it's talking about here. What it's talking about is living in sin with a complete understanding of the, God's words and a total disregard for them. I want to challenge you, you probably have never met somebody like that. You'll hear them on the radio and television every once in a while. They'll talk about, you know, uh, what, what was the famous quote here in our city a few years ago? It was about homosexuality. Is anybody, I believe the quote was, anybody who can say that homosexuality is a sin hates God. That was the quote. I want to challenge you that that person probably qualifies for this passage right here. That they are sinning willfully. They have no comprehension of God's word. That's what it's talking about here. It's talking about people who have gone past God's grace. They understand it. They know what it is. And they have willfully chosen the sins and their own path rather than being obedient 
to the Word of God. I want to challenge you, you can't witness to a person like that. They wouldn't understand it. There's no conviction of the Holy Spirit. And there's another group of people here that are in this thing, and they are the people that are just, you know, so scared that they're going to step out of God's will. In fact, I met a preacher of a different denomination, and they believed you could lose your salvation. And one of the famous quotes, and, and it wasn't long before this preacher went to it and, and said, listen, if I believed that God would forgive me of any sin that I could commit, he said, I'd go out and commit every sin there is. I said, well, wait a minute. The Bible talks about you right here in the book of Hebrews. You see, we don't serve God because we're afraid of his judgment. We serve God because he loved us. Do you see the difference? Most religion is based on fear. You don't do what I say, I'm going to take away your salvation. Whoa, wait a minute. God's the only one that can give it, and he's promised never to take it away. So who in the world do you think you are? Well, I'll tell you who you think you are. But a certain fearful, looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. Now we're going to come down here. Look at verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Verse 32. But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great flight of affliction, fight of afflictions. Partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your own goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Now I want to be careful this morning. I want us to understand what the word of God is trying to teach us here. But we have certain group of people that just think too hard about their sin and not hard enough about how God saved them. That's what this passage is talking about here. How many of you remember the day you got saved? You remember the joy that flooded your heart and the peace? How many of you have lived long enough for the Lord that the circumstances and stupid and sinful things that we have done as Christians have clouded that memory and life gets all confused and we just start wondering, am I really saved? Did I really do this? Did this happen? Anybody else ever been there? I'll tell you, if you live long enough for the Lord, you're going to be there. Here's the solution. Remember the day you got saved. Your assurance does not come from your feelings. It comes from the Word of God. 
Did you pray and ask Jesus to save you? Did you surrender your life to Him? Well then, you let Him take care of the sin instead of you trying to take care of the sin. That's what this passage is talking about. Now, again, let's not let the pendulum swing over to the other extreme where I go to become a heathen that I may have more of God's grace. That's not in the scriptures. But I want you to understand something. Your sin does not shock God. He knew you would do them before you were born. And yet he still loved you enough to send Jesus to save you from it. Amen? Don't be one of those people that get caught up in looking for God to destroy you because that's not God's plan for your life. He wants you to live for him. Amen? You see, remember your salvation. Remember the change that it brought. Look at verse 35. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of a reward. Just remember that when Jesus saves, He saves us forever. Amen? Verse 36. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but them that believe to the saving of the soul. Do you remember the day you believed in Jesus? Don't lose that. Don't ever get over it. Go back to it and think about it often. Don't allow the confidence of his salvation to be eroded by the sinfulness of our society and even by the sins that we commit. Keep your faith in Jesus, not in you. Amen? And you have need of patience. God's time clock is not yours. But his is right. Amen? I mean, don't you just hate it when God takes more time to get something done than you think he ought to? I remember when I called up Brother Marshall and he finally gave me permission to marry his daughter. He said, but you're going to have to wait all the way till September. You can't get married in June when you wanted to. I said, praise the Lord. He was, what? You said we can get married in September? Well, yeah, but you're going to have to wait. I said, no problem. That seemed like an awful long time back then. That's almost 25 years ago. And 12 kids. Uh, let me tell you something. Don't rush the Lord. You have need of patience. After that, you've done the will of God. 
you're going to receive the rewards. But don't allow yourself to fall back into that group of people who are just sitting there, well, I've committed the unpardonable sin. God's going to judge me and destroy me. There are people that live like that, but they're not saved. Let's get past that, my friend. Let's get past that. Now let's turn back to the book of Titus. That's the negative part of the sermon. The rest of it's positive. Amen? Looking for things. Don't be looking for the wrong things. Be looking for the right things. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Verse 13. This verse needs not a long introduction. Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Are you looking for Jesus' return? The Bible tells us that that's what we ought to be looking for. That that is the blessed hope of the believer. I'll tell you, there's been an awful lot of joy on Wall Street in the past week. We've set new goals every, I mean, new new all-time highs. I'll tell you what. I'm not the least bit moved by a new all-time high on Wall Street. What comes up, goes up, is going to come down. That's not where my hope is. My hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, because when He takes me up, I'll be with Him forever. Amen? You see, we need to be looking for the right things. The Bible tells us that we can't be looking for that blessed hope until we get through verses 10 and 11 and 12. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's turn to the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. Get through the book of Hebrews. James, 1st and 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. And he's telling us that in the last day scoffers are coming that this world is going to be judged and everything that now is is going to disappear. Look at verse 12. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens shall be on the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace 
without spot and blameless. You see, the day of the Lord is coming quickly. God's judgment is going to be complete. Now, don't get worried about what you hear on the radio. The end of the world is at least a thousand and seven years from today. If Jesus were to come today, it would be at least a thousand and seven years before these verses are going to come into play. You say, well, what's going to happen? Well, everything that's in the book of Revelation is what's going to happen. But what are we supposed to be doing? It, the Bible says, wherefore comfort ye one another with these words, that we're going to be forever with the Lord. That's the book of Thessalonians. You see, the day is coming. I don't know how many times preachers over the years said, well, you better be ready. You better be ready when it happens. Let me tell you something. It has happened. We, we don't need to worry about it. It's coming all in God's time clock. It will be here fast enough. But let's just look to serve him in these last days. Somebody said, the ship is sinking. Well, let's get as many people into the lifeboats as we can before she goes down. Amen? Let's reach out to that last one. Now, I want you to turn with me to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. On down to verse 21. I want to hopefully spend a little time here this morning. We're to look for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we're also to look for something else. Verse 21 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, the book of Jude is primarily about earnestly contending for the faith, that there's going to be those that say they are Christians and are not. And, of course, the evidence is everywhere we go. And as he ends his short little book here, the preface to the book of Revelation, he's got some commands to the Christians here in these last few verses. He says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, how do you do that? That's a command. If you like English grammar, the subject of this sentence is you understood. Because it is telling you that you are to be keeping, that you are to keep yourselves in the love of God. How do you keep yourself in the love of God? Well, let's go back and let's define God's love. Let the Bible define these things. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. That's the love of God. Do you know what? It can get grievous to show up at church on Sunday morning. I mean, it can be a labor. 
It can really get grievous show up church Sunday night. How about Thursday night for Bible study? It can get grievous to read your Bible every day. It can even get grievous to pray if you're not careful. Amen? It can be grievous to pass out tracts or to try to witness to people. It can be grievous to put money in the offering plate. Yet, these are things that Jesus has commanded us to do now, isn't it? Now, please do not misunderstand what I'm saying. Just because you do these things on the outside doesn't mean that you're in the love of God. You see, you can paint the old rotten barn... And it's still an old rotten barn. It just looks nice for a couple of weeks. You've got to fix things from the inside out. That's what God wants to do in our life. That is our struggle, my friend. That's what we're to be looking for. If we're looking for Jesus to come back, that means we're trying to get ready for him to come back. Amen? It says that we're to look for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you look for God's mercy? Well, you see, looking for His mercy is the key that makes keeping in his love work. You see, most people will keep in the love of God by just doing what God said to do. Well, then our religion just becomes a checklist, an empty set of do's and don'ts. We leave the heart of the issue and we just go to the formality of it. That's why most churches change in that 25, 30 year range and by the time they get 50 to 100 years old most of them are no longer doing what they were supposed to do. They make that turn over two or three times and each time it's just a little step over a little step farther away from the love of God and the things that are His truths. But I want to challenge you, if you're looking for the mercy as you keep yourselves in his love, it's going to keep your heart in the right place. And you'll be doing the right things for the right reasons. How do you receive mercy? Number one, you lose. Amen? Number one, you got to lose. You got to admit defeat. Now, please don't raise your hands this morning because everybody'd have to raise their hand. But how many of you were defeated by the tempter this week? Every hand would go up. 
How many of us have lost the battle in some specific area trying to be obedient to the Lord? We all have. Now, if we go back to the book of Hebrews and talk about sinning willfully, uh, no more sacrifice for sins, no more salvation, we're, we're all in trouble. No, that's not what it's talking about in Hebrews. It's talking about people who know and understand God's word and choose to live a life in opposition to it. Okay, we're not talking about the wayward Christian who says, I don't want to go to church. I'm tired of putting up with that mean preacher. I just can't. That's not, that's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is someone who goes to church every Sunday and never can possibly hear a word of what is being preached because their heart has already made up its mind that they're going to do their own thing. I pray that we have no one like that here today. But looking for mercy... I admit my defeat. I come to the victor. That's Jesus. He's the only one that's had victory over sin. He's the only one that's had victory over the grave. He's the only one that has lived life and gone through it and come back to tell us that he has victory over death and hell. Amen? When we sin, we're in opposition to Jesus. We admit our defeat. We confess our sins. Then we receive his instruction. And we get up in obedience to his words. That's mercy. We have some preachers that have preached so hard on God's forgiveness that they make sin of no consequence. Are we still together on that? Now that doesn't happen here. But it does happen in some churches. I want you to understand sin is of great consequence. There is no sin that was sinned by mankind that Jesus did not pay for on the cross. He died for stealing a stick of gum at the convenience store. He died for the little white lies, just as he died for all of the great sins. Because one sin is enough to keep you out of heaven. It is us coming back and surrendering ourselves to Jesus. Asking for his direction. Now let's go on here. It says, of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling 
and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now this is talking about the work of Jesus in your life. He is able to keep you falling from falling, but when you do fall, he is still able to present you faultless before the Father because he paid the price of every sin. And all God's people said, you see, this is how you look for his mercy. You look for his mercy, keeping yourself in his love, being obedient to what the Bible says. Somebody said, well, I can't do everything that the Bible says. Well, don't use that as an excuse not to do what you can and should do today. Amen? Start where you are. Here's a question that you ought to ask yourself. Am I more obedient today than I was a month ago? If not, we need to go start over again. Amen? Not getting saved, of course. But we've missed something somewhere. We've wandered off that path of keeping ourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. It is he that will present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Verse 25, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And all God's people said, you know, there is something that we need as a church to do a little better at. And that's verse 25 here. You see, Jude ends this passage with a praise and worship of God. Praising God is giving Him glory for who He is. Thanking God is giving Him glory for what He has done. There is a little difference between those. There's an awful lot of overlap. But you read the last verse of Jude. And I don't know about your mind, but my mind immediately goes to Revelation chapter 5, where the thousands and millions are gathered around the throne because many of the same words will be used in Revelation chapter 5 or is used right here. Glory to God. Majesty. Dominion. And power. You see, glory is the image, the shadow. Sometimes it's said of a human being, he casts a big shadow. Well, nobody casts a shadow bigger than God, my friend. We give him glory. We magnify his name, majesty. 
You know, that's a word that's almost lost in modern English. Because the closest thing we know about it is the king and queen of England. Enough said? There's nothing majestic about the royal family in England except for their immorality and pension for sin. Now that's quite, quite large as all humankind is. But it wouldn't hurt you. In fact, it would help you to think about the majesty of God. A king against whom there is no rising up. A king who is absolutely perfect in his judgments. Unlike Congress and the Supreme Court. And anybody else in Washington you'd like to put in there. His majesty. His dominion. Usually when we use that is in an evil sense. And that's purposefully done because nobody wants someone else to control them. Right? I don't want the mayor telling me how large my soft drinks are. I I really don't. I'm going to be one of those guys that goes out and just buys two just to spite them. That's not going to do me any good. But let me tell you, I want God to control me. And if he does, I probably wouldn't go out and buy the one in the first place, right? Listen. You want God to be the Lord's prayer. We're almost done. Thy kingdom come. That's what this, what's the kingdom? The kingdom is the area that the king controls, his dominion. Do you not want your life to be under his dominion within the realm of his kingdom? And it will be if we submit, if we're looking for his mercy and keeping in the love of God. Amen. No matter where we find ourselves and power. How many of you have been afraid of the power of this world as they plot and they plan and they try to change what is right into what is wrong and what is wrong into right? You know what God does? Read the Psalms. He shall have them in derision. God laughs at them. And it's not a funny laugh because it's not funny. It's a scorning, derisive laugh because of how foolish they are to try to plan and plot against his power. Amen? You see, we need to be looking for the return of Christ. We need to keep ourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. You see, 
He's in the soul-saving business. He wants you to be. He is able to present us faultless. And he wants us to praise and worship him. Did you follow that last phrase? Both now and ever. Don't wait till you get to heaven to praise the Lord. Don't wait until you get to heaven to contemplate his majesty and his power. Do not wait until you get to heaven to place yourself under his dominion. Do it now. Do it this afternoon. Do it tomorrow before you go to work. My Christianity is not just for Sunday. It is for every moment of every day. And I'll tell you what, those of you that have been obedient know that when I walk in his love, that when I am looking for his mercy, when I keep myself in the love of God, all these awful things that go around on around me are not near as troublesome. And they don't vex my soul because he's more powerful than they are. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His glory is greater than any man. And his majesty is fully able to deal with any problem his subject may face. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we know that there are many that are looking for some promise, some way to destroy the testimony of Christ, some way to get their own plans and their own ideas and their own religion ahead. Lord, we know that there are those looking for the end of the world and fearful of God's judgment. Lord, I pray that there would not be one here today that would fall into those first two categories. But Lord, my prayer this morning is that each one of us would be looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would be keeping ourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of Jesus Christ our Lord unto eternal life. Lord, I ask that we would not get wrapped up with the delivery or the any part of the sermon except the words of God that are in it. And Lord, that you would help us to understand there are things that we must do and that we would take time and we would understand how we need to worship you and keep praising you both now and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitations. One we.